Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. We often think of the Bible as a mirror. Thanks largely to what is written in the book of James, where it talks about those that hear the word and don't do it, being like those who look in a mirror and uh, walk away without doing anything when they notice something that is off. Uh, But when we think about this idea of looking into a mirror, you see a reflection of yourself. Now, the Bible is a very interesting mirror, because when you open up these pages, you don't literally see yourself. Often you're looking at situations and circumstances from thousands of years ago. But if we're careful to look at those things wisely, we will see a reflection of ourselves and our own hearts. And we need to beware because as we look into this odd mirror of scripture and we see these things that are old, it's easy for us to just look back at them or look down on some of the people that we read about when in fact we should uh, be really checking this mirror to see what it is saying about us. And it's that mindset that I want us to bring to Psalm 78 today. Psalm 78 verses 17 through 31. And so we're remembering this, going back to the beginning, he wants to pass things on to the next generation, but then he talks about despite all the wonders that they had seen, uh, they forgot about God and they did not keep his covenant. And we kind of pick that up in verse 17, where he has just talked about many of the wonders that God has done. But in verse 17, he says, yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the most high in the desert. Then they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. Now, it's this next part that, again, the details will seem foreign to us, but I want you to see and for you to ask yourself, how often is this true of you? And it says, they spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? And so notice what they're saying there. It's talking about the people in the wilderness testing God by demanding food. And they basically say, hey, can God set up a picnic in the wilderness? And then they even acknowledge, well, he did make water gush out of a rock and created streams out of nothing. But can he really make, give us bread or provide meat? You see how... uh, They acknowledge one thing, but even as they acknowledge that, they doubt that God can do the next thing. And here's where I think in these figures of these ancient Israelites in the Old Testament, I hope we start to see the reflection of ourselves in that. Because it is unfortunately true that we too often do something very similar, where we will say, yes, I know God did this, but can he do this? We think about it even with trials in our lives. Oh, yes, I know God provided for me through this trial in my life, but this new thing, can he provide here? So many situations in life where we are tempted to doubt God while we still might acknowledge on some level things that he has done in the past. That's where this should really start to convict us. 
where we have seen God provide many, many times. We have seen God do wonderful things. Yet how often in the face of something new do we doubt him, even while giving lip service to acknowledging the things that he has done? And how does God feel about all this? Well, verse uh, 21 tells us, it says, therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. And so there it says that God was angry. And we need to realize that when we doubt God, when we doubt God's goodness, when we doubt God's power, when we doubt God's wisdom, that is very offensive to God. Because imagine it from God's point of view, he's looking back. um, So I have this track record of several thousand years and well, really beyond that from a human level, eternity of perfect love, perfect wisdom, perfect power. Why are you doubting me? And not only does he have eternity and all of the scripture to prove these things to us, he has our own lives. If you are a believer, surely you have seen God's love in your life. You have seen his wisdom in your life. You have seen his power in your life. And so when, when, even in the face of all that, we say, God, I don't know if you can do this next thing. We have to realize that is actually one of the gravest sins that we could commit. The sin of doubting God because of all that he has done. And that's what we see. His anger is aroused. But even in that, we see his mercy in verse 23. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. And he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. And so we see God gave them the bread even in spite of their lack of faith. And so we really want to think about this Uh, From our perspective, right? And just to consider, I want you to consider what are the ways right now you are being tempted to doubt God? It could be a big trial this week, or it could just be, I don't know how I'm going to get everything done this week, or I'm not feeling well, so how am I going to do what I need to do? It could be seemingly simple or a a massive thing, right? Where you've been diagnosed with cancer. How's God going to get through this? And again, That doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that we can always see what God is doing, but we don't want to doubt God and basically say what the Israelites said. Yes, I know God did this, but I don't think he can do that. We want to have faith. And I hope this text challenges us in that today. Speaking of learning from the Old Testament and from Israel, let's go now to 2 Kings 13 and 14. And we're kind of deep in the throes of the divided kingdom in 2 Kings, you know, where it's like, all right, here's another king. What's it going to tell us about this king? Um, all of these uh, different different things. And it's easy to kind of start losing losing some steam or losing track of what's going on. Well, again, let's just have some simple reminders Again, this is the era of the divided kingdom where you have the kingdom of Israel in the north and then you have the kingdom of Judah in the south. And it's that southern kingdom of Judah that is based in Jerusalem and continues to have a descendant of David on the throne. And one important thing to remember is all of the kings of the northern kingdom were evil kings, all of them. Uh, The kings of Judah 
are something of a mixed bag where we see some good kings and we see some wicked kings. And so we're kind of in the middle of all of this. But one thing that, again, I just want us to draw from this is there should be lessons of faith for us in these passages, right? And what we need to see, the failure of these wicked kings is ultimately they did not trust God and they did not keep his commandments. And even we see one interesting episode in our reading today when it talks about the death of Elisha. And as Elisha is sick, Joash, the king of Israel, so was Joash a a good king or a bad king? Well, all you should need to know to answer that question is he was the king of Israel. All of the kings of Israel were um, bad kings. But still, he goes and he has some sense of connection to Elisha because Elisha has done some amazing things even for the nation of Israel. And Elisha tells him to take a bow and he takes a bow and arrow and he says, draw the bow. And he opens the the window and he says, shoot. And Elisha says, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians and Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows and He took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times and stops. Then the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. And I want to suggest to you, this really presents Joash, even though he had some level of respect for Elisha, he didn't really pay attention to the words of this dying prophet. He kind of went through the motions of striking the ground three times instead of a response, I think, that would have been more full of faith. And so that's an important thing for us to consider. Again, we want to trust God's promises. We want to lean in to God's promises. And in some senses, we want to go big on God's promises, not like this king of Israel here who just kind of went through the motions based on God's promises. Well, let's go to the New Testament now and first go to 2 Corinthians 13. We finish uh, 2 Corinthians today. And remember, this has been a little bit more of an intense letter because there was a, a bit of a troubled relationship with this church in Corinth where Paul has to address many things here. He has to defend himself. And even now you see some of him defending himself here in this last chapter. But then he says something very interesting in verse five, when he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So here we see a command in scripture uh, where he is telling professing believers to examine themselves to see if their salvation is genuine. There's, I always feel a careful balance needing to be struck here as a pastor because we see one clear problem in Scripture is people thinking that they are Christians when they are not. And I think that's one of the reasons why Paul writes what he writes here. But then as a pastor, I also know that I've talked with people that they struggle to believe they are a Christian when it seems on some level clear that they do trust in Christ. And so what do we do? How do we apply this? Well, I think at the end of the day, none of us should have something to fear in examining ourselves. And it's important that we examine ourselves according to scripture and not according to our feelings. And I think that's an important thing that whatever side of the spectrum you might be on, and again, I can't see your soul, whether you are thinking you're a Christian, but you're not, 
Or on the other hand, you're struggling to believe that you are a Christian and to have that assurance when you actually are saved. Um, you need to not so much trust your feelings. You need to lean more into scripture because uh, many people, they just have a feeling that they're saved and that they're all right. When if they really dug into scripture, um, it, it would show them, no, clearly you are are not walking in the light. You're walking in darkness. And then many people that struggle with doubt, their doubts really aren't based on scripture. They're based on their feelings. So we shouldn't exempt anyone from this verse. And from time to time, we should examine ourselves. We just need to be careful that that examination takes place on the basis of scripture and not on our feelings. Finally, let's go to Luke chapter two, where we finish the chapter today with verses 39 through 52. And here we see some amazing aspects of the incarnation of Christ. I mean, when we see this whole familiar episode where Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem in the temple and when they come and they find him and look at what Mary says, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And so I think from an early age here, Jesus is showing an awareness of who he is and what his mission is. While at the same time, it says in verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. And man, how can God increase? And we have to admit that there are some mysteries to the incarnation. And we need to understand uh, Jesus didn't lose anything. He didn't lose his divinity in the incarnation. He added humanity. And so as he added humanity, there was increasing. There were things he learned on a human level. There were ways he grew physically. And, And so we see all these things, yet from an early age, we see he has an awareness of who he is and what his mission is. And again, we see a key phrase as it talks about his mother at the end of verse 51. And it says, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And that really brings us back to where we started, where in Psalm 78, you have the Israelites saying, I know God did this, but I don't think he can do that. Well, one great way to fight against that is when you see God do so many amazing things, take them and treasure them in your heart. So that you may not forget who he is. And when the next trial comes on, instead of doubting, you will respond in faith. And so I hope that's been a helpful look in the mirror for us today in God's Word. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.